Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So to quote our favorite poet, Bob Dylan, times they are a change in. Hey, so in this uh, episode of The Scent Life, we want to talk to you about some things that are different, some things that are the same, introduce you to some new personalities, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Well, welcome back, Anna. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad you're here this week. We talk about our stories of the Scent Ones. Welcome back into the Scent Life studio. So this week, as we uh, as we move into our stories of the Scent Ones, we want to talk about a man um, who is known to a whole lot of people, actually, right? Maybe one of the uh, most famous uh, American missionaries, the man Jim Elliott. I think that's a fair assessment, uh, especially for people in my generation, which would be go. millennials. There you go. Yeah. I mean, Jim Elliott is a guy who uh, who is made famous through, uh, well, through the writings of his wife, but also illustrations and sermons. Uh, you know, Jim Elliott is known as a guy who really risked and then eventually lost his life for the sake of the gospel. It's true. So Jim Elliott uh, was born in Portland, Oregon in uh, 1927. And he went to Wheaton College as a wrestler on a wrestling scholarship. Uh, and part of that time, uh, as he was wrestling with his uh, not only opponent in the ring uh, or on the mat, but he also was wrestling with the Lord and really uh, surrendering himself uh, to a life of missions. Jim's passion was uh, to ask the question, how can I use my life as a legitimate investment into God's kingdom. And that led him to go to Ecuador as a missionary among the Aka Indians. Now, this was one of the most unreached, unknown, even feared groups of people that missionaries at that time had access to. It's true. Uh, and so as he went down there with a group of people um, to really set up a missionary camp to try to find out how do we find the Aka Indians, how do we communicate with the Aka Indians, how do we win them to Christ? It was this whole uh, movement of trying to figure out how do we reach a people group that, quite frankly, was primitive and completely inaccessible. We think of the world as very connected. Right. And uh, these people would have been very disconnected from the world at the time. So uh, you you think about a people who, who have missionaries come to them mm-hmm that look different, sound different, speak different, and they've had no access to the outside world. So you had a lot of um, fears and concerns right. as, you, as they were getting ready to go to these people. That's exactly right, yeah. In fact, th- as, as the story goes, and, and what we know about the story, we find from Jim's diary and the diary and the tellings of other people, especially uh, what his wife Elizabeth Elliot tells about their journeys. But eventually they, uh, in the jungles, looking for the Alka Indians, they finally discovered uh, where they were located. Uh, they developed a way with an airplane uh, to circle the airplane and to be able to, to lower down gifts and a basket. Eventually, one day, uh, the five missionaries decided that they would go and try to make personal contact with these uh, with these uh, th- this primitive tribe. Unfortunately, it's kind of a tragic tale. It's a tragic tale. We absolutely we really don't know what happened, <laughs> but eventually, uh, they didn't come back home. And uh, they sent a search party out and found the bodies of the missionaries murdered on the beach uh, by the Aka Indians. The fact, the fact of the matter is then Life magazine went down. They did a big uh, cover story. I have a copy of that magazine in my office. It's, um, it's, a, it's a crazy story to think of what, of what was taking place uh, at that time. But it was, it's a real, it became 
uh, two things happened as a result of this, right? The first one is that instead of retreating, the widows of these men went back into the missionary service. And you're going to talk about that in just a second. I am, yep. But the other thing that happened is that Jim Elliott and his uh, fellow missionaries uh, became, became kind of a rallying cry. Uh, for other missionaries to go to the field. And I think we could say that many, many missionaries went to the mission field because of Jim Elliott's example and because of the movement that he he generated has kind of captured the imagination of a generation of people, what you can do if you give your life to Christ. Sure. Jim Elliott is known for saying he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's right. And I think that's that's what you see in his life. He he believed that God's mission was so important that he would give his life, that which he couldn't keep in the long run anyway, right, right. Uh, for God's mission. Right. And um, you know, when we, when we think about Jim Elliot, and we think of of all of those men who are on that right. that uh, that journey, uh, their their stories would not have been as popular. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. had had it not been for their wives that's and right. their their families that carried on their missionary work. That's right. With, we wouldn't know Jim Elliot, I don't think, if we if we didn't have Elizabeth Elliot. Great point. Um, Elizabeth and and some of these other women, they went back to the Anka people, mm-hmm. and they chose to live among them. Mm-hmm. So they lived among the people who most likely killed, killed their, their, their husband or, right. or or father, right. um, and they proclaimed the gospel mm-hmm. to them. Um, and and what you see is that a large number of the people from that tribe actually choose to follow Jesus because of the 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 fearless and 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 honestly selfless That's acts of these women right. uh, who are willing to say even though you've hurt me even mm. though you've taken something special and precious from me uh, God's mission is worth it yeah. and I'm going to take His name to you. That's right. And so as we think about stories of the sent ones, we tell the story of Jim Elliot. Uh, his is the famous name, but we also can't forget those that were on his team and the women and the families who went back afterwards and see that their commitment to the Lord to not hold what they couldn't keep so exactly. they could gain what they couldn't lose. And that was uh, the legacy of being a sent one on the mission of God, but also seeing a group of people completely transformed by the sake of the gospel. Amen. Thanks for being here. Anna, what a great story. Thank you, too. Welcome to this episode of The Scent Life. We are super excited that you have uh, downloaded our podcast and that you've joined us this week. As I said earlier, there's some things that are different. I want to introduce you to a couple different personalities and some different segments. We've started a new segment uh, this week, and that's going to be called Out of the Tower. We try to take a step uh, out of the ivory tower and onto the streets and just give some real practical tips on how you can live your life on mission. Uh, you'll notice that this takes place toward the end of the podcast, and so I want you to be able to, to be there, pay attention, see some of the new things that are happening. Our goal is that each time that you uh, listen, that you get some information, but more than that, that God uh, uses this as a way to just to sharpen your skills so that you can follow him uh, as you seek to fulfill his mission. So we have that new segment, Out of the Tower. We also have a new personality Somebody's not new to the podcast, but uh, new as a, an ongoing co-host here. Uh, Keelan Cook is in our Scent Life studios. Keelan, welcome aboard. Thanks, Scott. So you guys know that uh, several months ago we said goodbye to Greg Mathias. He left us uh, to go uh, to uh, New Orleans Seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana. And we've waited patiently for a new, a new co-host to show up in Keelan 
finally showed up on the scene. He came in from Houston, Texas. So, Keelan, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you've come here. Uh, you were serving in Houston with the Union Baptist Association. Um, many of us on the podcast have listened to you. As you've talked about diaspora missions, uh, reaching the nations next door. Um, but unpack just a little bit more about who you are. You've come here to serve with us. Tell us about your family, and then we'll just get into a little bit about what, what God did to bring you here. Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, we're coming from Houston. Uh, the family is myself. My wife's name is Meredith, and we have two little kids. Uh, Nora is our two-year-old, and we have an eight-month-old named Ezra. And so we packed up the car and headed. It took us about three days to get here, and we're back in Wake Forest. Of course, Meredith and I actually met on campus. Uh, it's a we got real, engaged on campus. We did. In fact, we got engaged on campus. We got married in Binkley Chapel. So this place has a really special, special place in our story. Uh, it's funny, we're, we're actually living in the same student housing right now, at least temporarily, <laughs> where we first met. So there's this full circle moment for Meredith and I right now. Uh, like the Twilight Zone. Huh? Something like that, yep. actually. Depends on how you want to look at it, I guess. Yeah, the good part of the bad part. So, Keelan, you, when you were in Houston, your primary focus was on um, reaching uh, internationals who moved uh, to North America. So what is it about that topic that uh, kind of motivates you and drives you when you think about your ministry, something you're really involved in. Yeah, so I think, uh, and you'll hear this more out of me as we get to moving forward, I think one of the most significant missiological or missionary occasions that we face in North America right now is the fact that we have an unprecedented opportunity sitting in front of us to, to be able to engage some of the least reached peoples around the world uh, right here in the areas around us. I think the Lord and His providence has done something very important and uh, we as the church in America need to really see that opportunity. And so a lot of my work in Houston uh, revolved around that. And I hope a lot of my work here at Southeastern revolves around helping and equip uh, and uh, train others in doing that kind of work as well. Yeah. So what would it be that uh, brings you, you know, from, from your position in Houston then to serving at Southeastern? Your goal here uh, is to equip our students to, to work with our, our Southeastern community, but also the broader Christian community for these purposes. But what is it that kind of drove you uh, into this transition point? Yeah, that's a great question. Besides uh, me twisting your arm. Right, right. Besides, besides the obvious, huh? So as, as Meredith and I thought about it and prayed about it, after you had, had mentioned this as an opportunity for us, we, we really just began to seek the Lord's face and say, you know, where, where would you have us serve? What's obedience for us on this point? And two or three things really stick out about the role here at Southeastern. Um, we firmly believe in the school and the fact that it is, in fact, the Great Commission Seminary. Right. And so we have so many students on this campus that are here genuinely seeking to figure out what's the best way they can go and make disciples. Uh, what an opportunity to be able to influence these students toward uh, the nations that are, in fact, their neighbors. Uh, so there's, there's one important piece there. But another thing that I think we were really positioned to do at Southeastern is be able to speak back to our other partners, mm -hmm. uh, be it local churches, uh, associations, mm -hmm. uh, like the one that I was coming from, state conventions, NAM, IMB. We get to be in a conversation here mm -hmm. that I think is a really important one. And so what does it look like for us to be somewhat externally facing as a mission center, to, to be in that dialogue with some of those other agencies and organizations to well, think through this? Good. You know, when people think about going on mission, and being involved in missions, um, there's always this drive, I need to go do it now. I need to be right out there right now. People are dying. They're going to hell. I need to go leave, go tell them right now. But you kind of stepped into theological education, and uh, there would be those who would say, man, that's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. What is it that you feel that theological education 
adds to and contributes to God's mission? What's the benefit of, of, of theological education in this process? Man, that is an excellent question. Uh, so I hear your point about urgency and agree with it, right? Um, one of the things that we were doing out in Houston, uh, we had really tried to re-envision what it meant for us as an association to be able to work with our churches. And uh, we started trying to lean into helping churches create a different culture. Uh, we want our churches sending people, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one of the things that we discovered is that oftentimes stepping back and working on those first foundational pieces hmm. is what long-term leads to multiplication instead of just mere addition. Okay. And uh, I think of it as a flywheel, really. Uh, flywheel, it's really hard to get started. But if you can put in some of that foundational work on the front end where people are really setting their paradigms on how to do, where they're developing that culture in themselves and in their family uh, and in their churches to do this kind of work, then the potential, I think, is far greater in the long run. Yeah. So, you know, at Southeastern, we have degrees that span the spectrum of opportunity. And you came here to participate from certificate degrees, people who aren't seeking any formal degree, just some training, all the way through you know, bachelor's, master's, even doctorate degrees. In fact, you're working on your own doctorate, right? You're working right. on a, a PhD that you hope to be finished with soon. And so, like you said, theological education um, provides some type of foundation exactly. for, for missions. It allows us to build off of something. What would be uh, goals that you might have as you've come here and you think about working with students? You, you mentioned, hey, Great Commission Seminary want to invest in students. And so what, 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 what would your goal be for that? And if you're thinking about those who are listeners, you think, man, we'd like to have you on board because these are the things that we can offer you that equip you, that strengthen you for what God's called you to do. Yeah, so when it comes to these issues that we're talking about right now, I think the sky's the limits. Uh, I tend to be a dreamer just in general, and so I've already started thinking through a lot of different things that we can do. Um, One of the things that I think is first on that list, though, is just raising the conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd love to see on campus and among our our distant students just a general awareness about how important the issue of diaspora work is and how it fits into an array of Great Commission tasks. A lot of people don't tend to think of that as being a part of just pastoral ministry, but in fact it is. And so regardless of whether you're going to be a church planner or a replanter or an international missionary, thinking about cross-cultural missions is on the table now. Mm. And so how do we raise the level of conversation about that on campus? And I think there's some informal ways to do that, and I think there's some formal ways to do it through classes and some of those other means. Good. So, yeah, so that's a great point, right? When, when we think about missions and we think about living the sent life, uh, it's easy to just push that out to the guy who's the missionary who goes to Africa or goes to China or goes somewhere else. But the thing that's really driven you over the past several years is this reality that cross-cultural missions is everywhere, Uh, that it's not something that we have the ability to tap out on just because I'm, I'm, I'm serving in a local church. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a deacon or a lay person, Sunday school teacher in my local church. God just called me to pastor in my hometown. And you're saying, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't exempt you from the Great Commission or more importantly from the cross-cultural element of the Great Commission. Yeah, so it's interesting. A real quick story here for you. So I was overseas working in West Africa with the IMB right. uh, as a church planter there for a few years, and and when I got back, uh, this really became this became real to me in a in a new way. So I'd landed here at the seminary, was starting to work on uh, my PhD, in fact, and 
while I was here, I wound up stumbling into an opportunity to do some research with a seminary in the North American Mission Board mm-hmm. and uh, one of our state conventions in Virginia. And uh, as we were doing it, it was in D.C. Yep. Uh, I was walking around doing some some research up there on different people groups. And one of the restaurants that was a block or two from the house where they had me staying mm-hmm. uh, was owned by a man from the same village I lived in in West Africa. Wow. And that was one of those eye-opening moments where I realized that this is this is kind of an every-member ministry now. Mm. We've got to figure out how to equip not just our international missionaries that are going overseas, but what does it look like for our churches to be able to dig into the waters of mm-hmm. cross-cultural missions and ministry right here in our cities? Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, you're not saying it means we shouldn't send missionaries. No, not at all. It's just that the the reality is we're all missionary. We all have the cross-cultural. Uh, opportunities. So in the coming coming weeks, months, as you hang in here as a co-host, what are some of the types of questions that you uh, intend to help us explore? And more importantly, uh, what may be some, some things that folks are facing in their communities and their churches that you hope we have the opportunity to address as part of the Scent Life podcast? Oh man, I don't, I don't know if I can narrow it down to just a few, but if I had to take a, a first stab at that. Uh, so there's Two or three issues that I think are real pressing. One is just in general uh, equipping our regular church folk for that cross-cultural moment, mm-hmm. that cross-cultural engagement, and developing a culture of sending in our local churches. Okay. So that's that's a big issue. There's all kinds of questions that revolve around that one, but I think it's kind of a linchpin issue for us at the point we are, uh, just where we are in North American missions right now. Uh, in addition to that, though, I, I think... And this ties into the immigration question, actually. We're, we're in the middle of real cultural transition and upheaval mm-hmm. in North America in general. And that, that provides opportunity, but in some ways it provides threats, the wrong word here, but it, it provides a moment where churches are really having barriers and obstacles as the culture around mm-hmm. them shifts and changes. So what does it look like for churches to, to enter into a situation of renewal? Okay. Uh, so that, that starts bringing up questions about revitalization and replanting and those things, because I actually think these issues are tied together. I don't okay. think you can separate those two. And so there's a whole realm of questions around that one that I think would be really helpful for us to consider as well. Good. Yeah. And to, to your point about replanting, revitalization, statistics tell us that about 80% of all churches in North America are plateaued or declining. That means that the vast majority of the churches, the vast majority of pastors and those who are leading in churches are in churches that need to make some type of adjustment for their own future health and success. And so uh, we want to address those types of issues uh, as well. And then we deal with immigration and not in a political sense, right? but in a missional biblical sense. And, and how do we respond uh, and, and prepare for that? Uh, as well. Keelan, we're super excited that you're here. I'm personally excited that you're on campus, personally excited that you're part of uh, part of our podcast. And listen, for those of you who are uh, listening in, we want you to uh, take some time. If there are questions that you would like us to deal with uh, over the next several months, uh, send those to us. You can do that by Twitter, uh, by Facebook, or by other social media accounts. Just let us know uh, what are the things that you'd like us to deal with. Uh, one of the things that we really, when we hear back from listeners, we always adjust our show in order to uh, to address the things that you're asking about. So we'll be more than happy to do that. But take some time and, and just, uh, just post those for us, specifically toward Keelan and the topics he's talked about, or perhaps other 
missional topics as we've as we've tuned in or, or, or missional topics uh, that you might like for us to deal with. But Keelan, we're super excited you're here. Welcome aboard. And uh, man, it's super glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity, Scott. It's going to be a good time. Looking forward to it. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the U.S. and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. All right, so welcome to, to a brand new segment this week in The Scent Life. We're going to call this Out of the Tower and Onto the Streets. You know, one of the accusations that we get uh, is that uh, professors are all in their heads and in the classroom, but not real not real practical when it comes to living a missional life. And if we talk about The Scent Life, uh, we want to live practically and reach people for Jesus. Several weeks ago, we had Dr. George Robinson in the studio. We talked about sharing the gospel uh, using the Bible it was really practical. We had some really positive feedback. We thought that we would invite him back and just start a new segment that we're going to call Out of the Tower. So, George, welcome back. Oh, glad to be here, man. So, as we talked about, we're going to really try to give our hearers each week, each podcast, uh, one simple practical tip that deals with some element of living life on mission. Evangelism, how to have a Bible study, how to learn a foreign language, how to lead somebody to Jesus, share your testimony. Each week we're going to do one quick thing just to show that at least some professors know how to step out of the tower. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And That's necessary, the right? That's right, onto the street. So what do we have this week? What's the practical tip that we want to bring this week to our listeners? So, you know, when people think about evangelism, they have a tendency to think about the impact of the gospel on unbelievers. But whenever I uh, am training students in personal evangelism, I tell them that we have to understand that we've got to begin by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. How do we do that? And so, you know, we'll never, we'll never communicate the gospel broadly unless we learn what it means to cherish the gospel deeply. Hmm. And, and what I mean by that is that on a daily basis, you know, when, when you get up in the morning, if you begin your day um, rehearsing the gospel to yourself. You know, I never moved on from the impact of the gospel. I've been walking with Jesus for 30, a uh, little over 30 years now, and I've never gotten over my need for the gospel. You know, I, I need the gospel for my sanctification just as much as I need needed the gospel for my justification. Yeah. So with this, here's what I do. I get up in the morning and I first listen to Scripture, um, and I'll do that with uh, several different translations. I'll listen through whole books and whole letters. So like 
for example, this morning I listened through Romans, okay. and I do that over and over again, and I allow that to kind of permeate my mind, and then I begin to reflect on what, what are the gospel's implications for my life today. And what that does, Scott, is it allows me, when I go out of my home, when I'm running into people, um, I've already soaked in the gospel's effect in my own life. And so now that's the natural thing, or even supernatural Amen. thing, if you want to say that, that comes out when I'm speaking with people. And so preaching the gospel to yourself daily is a, a practice that every person needs to put. It's going to look different for everyone. You don't have to do the same rhythms that I do. Uh, but you need to make sure that no matter whether you've been walking with Jesus for a couple of months or a couple of decades, that you continue to preach the gospel to yourself because we communicate what we cherish. We'll never communicate the gospel broadly unless we cherish the gospel deeply. Amen. Thanks so much for being here, Dr. Rose. What a great tip. Preach the gospel to yourself daily so that we can cherish the gospel. It puts us on mission. Thanks so much for tuning in this week for The Scent Life.